0: Welcome this first Sunday of Advent as we look forward to the celebration of the coming of Jesus. Would you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four? We're going to finish the book today, and uh, and then jump into some some Advent things in the next few weeks. But uh, I've been so encouraged by this book, by the preaching through it, what God has shared and showed us uh, through His Word. I want to begin with just this question: Does money bring happiness? It's a question we often hear and this was provided as a survey question this last August uh, to a group of people and and Americans, uh, it came out this week, an article that uh, Americans, 59% of them said that money does bring happiness. So then the question is offered, how much money brings happiness? And the the answers were a little different. The Gen Zers said, hey, Uh, they felt like the average amount that a person needs yearly to be happy would be $128,000 a year. Uh, When asked the millennials, my generation, what that was, it it looked a little different. They said $500,000 a year would bring happiness. Uh, Overall, a total of somewhere around 1.2 million was where the majority of Americans felt like would bring happiness in their lives. We've seen over and over again... Those that are famous and rich and have seemingly everything recognize that that brings no contentment and no happiness. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've recognized it as well, that whatever we have tried to pursue other than Christ has ultimately brought emptiness. And so Paul, in his uh, last encouragement to the Philippian people, is going to encourage them to contentment to contentment. Now, when we look, especially this season, right, the the mass, uh, every commercial on TV is trying to bring out discontentment in some way, right? You'll, you'll be better if you wear this or, or dress this. You're going to get this brand new car, and that's all of a sudden going to make all of your troubles go away. I told Julie, if you ever buy a new car for me for Christmas, that is not going to be my response. My response is, how in the world are we going to pay for this? What did you just do? But somehow, in those moments that that television creates for us, this becomes the joy of contentment. But probably, every one of us have faced the situation where something we have wanted, we have gotten, and we've woke up the next morning and went, what else? What else you got? Is there more? Is there more? So discontentment is really this. I need something else in my life to be fulfilled. That I can only achieve this or, or receive this or do something, then I can be fulfilled. Monica Eckberg, who's a financial strategist, has an incredible quote. It just says this, enough is always changing. Enough is always changing. That as human beings, we are fighting this. And Paul fights this, we're going to see in this passage. And Paul has actually said there's a secret to contentment. And he's going to tell us what that secret is in the process. Paul has talked about the peace of God last week that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we can live in peace with him and, and, and not be anxious about anything. And then he, he, he uses that to transition into, in the latter part of this book, just simply a thank you note for the Philippians. They had partnered with Paul. They had sent him a gift through Epaphroditus and he wants them to be encouraged. And so look with me in verse 10 as it begins. Paul says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul first says, look, I'm rejoicing that in gospel partnership, you recognize my need and you have sent something to help me in this gospel partnership. Paul now notice rejoices primarily not in the gift itself, but in the people that sent it, that he recognizes their concern. That gives him joy. They're concerned for him and care for him, and therefore, there's a joy that comes from him. Something had arisen in the past that had prevented them from giving previously when he was in need. Now, we're gonna learn here in a little bit that this is a repeated gift. They'd given to him before, but for some reason, somewhere in the middle there, they had not given a, a gift and Paul says, look, I recognize there was extenuating circumstances, but what joy it gives me that, you've re- that I recognize you still have a deep desire and a care for me in the process. The focus of partnership really sandwiches the book. You have at the beginning, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Why? For your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's this church that has partnered with him to send him for gospel effectiveness. I think it's incredibly appropriate that on the day we pause to remember uh, our missionaries, to remember the gospel sending, we're in this passage. And Paul's saying, Thank you for that partnership. Partnership is a big deal when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God. We are not meant to walk the Christian journey alone, we are meant to be in partnership. What a joy it is to be in partnership as church members together to say we are better together. We're going to partner together for the advancement of the kingdom in our own neighborhoods, in our city and in the world. Maybe today you've been coming to to Travis for a while, but you've not made that step of partnership to say, hey, there's joy when we when we do this together and commit together. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider joining us in membership Uh, at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you more about what that means and that journey together but here paul's really talking about this joy in the partnership with those who advance the kingdom of god with him as he goes out in december uh we we pause to remember the missionaries that we help support that we join in partnership with as matt shared do you know that as a part of the international mission board that we help support your weekly giving and then in december we focus on a special world missions offering That goes specifically to help this, but there are 3,526 missionaries around the world that we help support, that are fully supported to tell people about Jesus. That's an incredible thing to partner with, to to be encouraged with. In December, we focus on the World Missions offering. This offering can be given to all year long, but we focus on it because as we see around us today, the many flags and the many representations of people who need to hear the the good news of Jesus. And in our World Missions offering, the first 50,000 that's given is set aside for partnerships that we have. These close flags right here on each side represent partners that we've gone to. We've, we've represented it this year. We've taken mission trips to help or they've had needs that we've been able to support. We are close term partners in those areas. A lot of them have ties to Travis have grown up or have come here and we have sent out. And that's a beautiful thing. But then also, uh, the, the missionaries that we help support through the whole thing. So, uh, first 50,000 goes to those partnerships. And then, uh, After that, anything above that 70% is given to what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. 100% of that goes to missionaries serving in a global context outside of the United States. And so we help support them, encourage them in the process. And then 30% of of the remaining funds goes to what's called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, which is for North America for church planting and partnerships. So this year we took a, a group of students to the Middle East and when we give uh, to the World Missions Offering, that helps support the missionaries that we helped partner with there. And, and in New York, the, the North American Mission Board helps support the church plant there in New York. See, we get to be a part of this partnership. And Paul says that gives him joy. And I think it should give us joy as well. I was so encouraged this week. I just began to, to also recount people in our church currently who are preparing to go to give their lives for the gospel mission overseas. Right now, I know of 11 within our congregation who believe they're called to serve in a foreign context uh, and and are preparing to be sent. What a joy it is as a church to be able to send them. Are you excited about that? The life that comes from the body doing this, just like the Philippian church did with Paul. Two of them, Blake and Delaney Washam, are preparing to go to Southeast Asia to work with an unreached people group. Those that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be hopefully launched within this year or or the beginning of next year uh, or a year from now. So we're, we're, we're moving. This is happening just like it did then. So gospel partnership keeps the focus on the mission. Why does it do that? Because it keeps our concerns revived for, for the mission. We're, we're tempted to begin to make things about us, to begin to look internally, look at all I have to do or my struggle or, or what I need to do. And, and to partner with mission says, no, 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 I'm going to, to do this. I'm going to look and give and be generous toward others because the mission is more important. It keeps that revived. And Paul takes joy in the Philippian church. They're revived passion for gospel focus. Second, Paul talks about contentment, contentment in every season. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, who, who strengthens me. Notice that Paul is equally content when he is abounding, when he has much, and when he's hungry, when he has very little. And we see in Paul's journey, there were times when that took place. When he's staying in Philippi, helping plant this church, he's staying in Lydia's house. Lydia, the, the church met in Lydia's house, it probably was big enough. She's a businesswoman. Uh, it, it probably was pretty, pretty cushy environment. And he got to enjoy and experience. Now he's sitting in house arrest in Rome uh, and, and dependent on others to provide his needs. In other places, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. We see this in his life. And so many times in our lives, when circumstances change, it rocks our contentment. Wait a minute, I, I just need this to change in my life so that contentment can come. And Paul says, no, 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 I, I can be content in every season of life. Why? Because both having little and much bring its own temptations. In Proverbs, it talks about this. Proverbs thirty seven through nine says this. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me the falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So, so the, the writer of this proverb says, look, I, I don't need extra because if I'm extra, I'm gonna be tempted to say, who's the Lord? I don't need him. I've got everything I need. My 401k is set. No matter what happens, I'm good. And we begin not to lean and trust on him. Or don't let me be so poor that I've got to go... Uh, Treat people badly, I gotta go steal and, and that would look poorly on you. Provide me what I need. And wisdom would say, that is the call. That if we recognize that, that contentment is found in Christ alone, we're not looking for the extremes. In a world and in a culture that wants everything that they possibly can, we say, no, we would cherish something more than great riches. Paul had to learn this. He says, this is a secret that I've learned. And this secret from from the past of his time with Christ, uh, he's had to learn what this means to be content, which means he wasn't always. And that's really encouraging to me because I'm not always either. But there's a secret to contentment that, that the believer has over the entirety of our life. And that's this, contentment comes from Christ. Contentment comes from Christ. When our mind and eyes are on him, focused on him, when we're thinking and considering him, then it isn't focused on our needs or on our excesses, but it's really focused on what he has done for me. And then in turn, how do I respond to him? Paul says Christ is continually working in him to fortify him, to strengthen him. This time of year, we, uh, we like to do gingerbread houses in the and household. And usually that means at some point there's going to be a disaster and a meltdown. So I have taken to starting the, the, the process and I try to do it early enough and away from them so that the house can be built so then they can decorate it. They like the heaviest decorations and over time that house begins to slide. And sometimes there's continual need for strengthening I have to come back and say, nope, let's put a little bit more icing here, put a little more icing here. That's the picture of what Christ is doing for Paul. It's not just this one-time thing, and now I'm forever content, but it's a daily walk. I remember it's Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ who, who is allowing me to walk in contentment in this life. This verse is a popular verse. We hear it a lot of times. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, but recognize the context is not primarily about being able to shoot baskets. It's about suffering. It's about walking in difficult times in contentment for who he is. It's not primarily about achievements. I can do all things. I can accomplish anything through Christ who strengthens me, but it's about contentment in the journey. I would ask you today, how is is Christ strengthening you in contentment? This is one of the great lessons in the classroom of Christ for the believer to walk in contentment. What is it that you have been walking with that says, if I just got this, achieved this, or, or did this, this would bring ultimate fulfillment? It will not. And so we were reminded again in the guardrails of the gospel to come and remember he is sufficient for me. Is he enough this Christmas? Some of you may be swimming in excess from a great year and some of you may be wondering where your next meal is. And in all of these things, Paul says, there's a secret. You you don't have to, to dwell in any of that. You can be dependent on him. Is he enough today for you? We see that contentment comes from Christ. We see gospel partnership that helps us keep the focus on the mission. And then Paul switches once again to this partnership and he begins to talk about generosity, not just a one-time thing, but generosity from an eternal perspective. Look at verse 14. Paul says, "'Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, "'and you Philippians, yourselves, Know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul says, you Philippians, in the beginning of the gospel, and you go, Paul, what do you mean by the beginning of the gospel? Like The beginning of the gospel didn't start with the Philippians, but it did for them. When they first understood and heard the good news of Jesus Christ, when Paul brought it to them, and they began to grasp, wow, there is a God. He sent Jesus, God's son to earth to live a perfect life, to, to, to fix my messed up world, to offer me uh, forgiveness of my sins, salvation. He died on the cross, taking my place, rose again. Now we're awaiting his second return. In that good news, what the Philippians did was, man, how do we help you tell other people? How do we then respond? And Paul says, you you were partnering with me when nobody else was. You were saying, we want to be the engine that, that fuels what you're doing to declare this to other people again and again. I love what it says in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Philippians are a long way from Rome. How are they sharing in Paul's trouble? As they're supporting, as they're encouraging, as they're praying for him, they are taking on the burden of his struggles with them as well. You heard today that at the, uh, as you leave and also it'll be available on our website and newsletter, uh, there's the, the Week of International Mission Prayer where we're gonna pray specifically with other churches, like-minded churches in our country for specific areas around the world this week. I would encourage you to grab that with you, stick it in your Bible and be faithful this week to do so. Why? Because in so doing, we share with the struggles. I may not be out in the throes of Africa today or in the Middle East, but I can remember the burden, I can pray, I can participate in the struggle. This was a repeated endeavor that they had partaken in. And Paul wants to remind them again, look, the gift is wonderful, but there's something so much more about generosity that you need to know. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Within these couple of verses is just jam-packed different imagery. And I want us just to spend a moment to unpack them. First of all is this, generosity is focused on eternal fruit. The Philippians had a share of the fruit that God was bringing through Paul. As they were giving, their, their eternal fruit in heaven was, was included in, in what Paul was doing. Think about that phenomenal thing that as we support these 5,000 missionaries around the world, we get to participate in the fruit that God is seeing. Paul says, the fruit to your credit. In other words, when God sees Paul's fruit, he's going, hey, the Philippians have a credit here as well. They have, they have sacrificed and given so that fruit might be given. In 2022, according to the, the statistics, 178,177 new believers through our efforts through the International Mission Board. And Travis, you participate in the fruit. That's a part of what we are doing to to reach the greatest problem of lostness. Praise God for the fruit that we're seeing. Do we need more? We need more. That God would send more to the nations that lostness would be attacked through the gospel of Jesus. There were 21,231 churches planted this year, and that fruit is a part of what we are a part of. See, any time we take the temporal in our lives, things that are fleeting, and we invest it in the eternal, that is an investment that continues to gain uh, interest and fruit. I had the opportunity to, to take a class with a, a dear brother uh, who, had, who has been a part of our church. Uh, and in is his area of life in Burma. Um, it was IMB missionaries that first came and shared the gospel now many generations ago. And it was so fun as he was sharing that to say, I'm a legacy of what those in the past have done for us. See, eternal investment, taking something temporal and investing it in the eternal yields eternal rewards and fruits. But anytime we trade the eternal for something temporary, what we get is just the momentary joy of that moment with that temporary thing. So the task, Paul says, look, It's not the gift, it's the joy of understanding the fruit that you're a part of. And then he uses a financial terminology. He says, hey, the receipt, here's the receipt, essentially. All of it came and I'm grateful for it. But then he transitions into an incredible picture that this gift that they sent actually becomes a fragrance of worship before God. That when, when you sacrifice, when you are generous toward the advancement of the kingdom of God, just like in the Old Testament, the incense in the temple would go up as praises before the Lord. This picture that when we are generous to advance the kingdom of God, it's a smell to God. And he goes, mm, that smells good. <laughs> That's a people who are just so excited about what I have done for them that they just cannot help but go and tell other people. It's aroma and this fragrance of generosity before God. And then finally in generosity, Paul encourages them to remember that actually it's God who has the limitless supply. We are simply taking what he's given us and giving to others. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, look, guys, God is able to take care of your needs far better than you can or others can. God has a limitless supply that he can take care of your needs. One scholar said it this way. He says, needs, not greeds. And I think that's true. You may be sitting here to go, but I need this. Well, If it's a need, God has promised to supply. And a heart of generosity understands he's the supplier. I'm just the conduit that it flows through. Ultimately, we can be gracious and generous. We can live generous lives for the advancement of the kingdom because God is a generous God. Think about it for a minute. We are entering into the season that says... That God loved us so much that he gave. The most generous gift ever given. For our greatest need of salvation, Jesus came, paid the price of that sin, and has offered that gift to anyone. Today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the gift has been offered. It's here. Would you take it, receive it, believe it, and trust in his name? And so we're generous because God has been generous to us. And then in thinking about this, Paul just kind of erupts into a doxology, into a worship uh, opportunity. He just says to our God and father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is certainly worthy and able to do everything that we've shared. Our worship to God. When we get the opportunity to, to generously uh, advance the kingdom of God. It is worship. It's great. We, we come and we sing. When we give, we advance the kingdom of God in worship as well. See, partnership and contentment and gratitude together frame Paul's thank you note. And I think it should frame the way we look at our world missions. We joyously partake in partnership. We remember our contentment in Christ Jesus and then we, we share in the sufferings of those who have been called to go. Notice in verse 21 when he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think what Paul's doing here is giving them a glimpse of what eternal fruit looks like. We've seen at the beginning the praetorian guard of the book that that they've been there and Paul's been able to share with them. Apparently now the gospel has reached into the interworkings of Rome and there are people in Caesar's household who now trust in Christ. We will never know the eternal effects of fruit as long as we have a temporary mindset. We will never be able to understand all that God has done in and through our generosity and giving until someday when we are granted an eternal mindset and we see all that God has accomplished. But what God has used the Philippians for is to help and encourage Paul so that now he can share the gospel and the gospel has even found its way into Caesar's household. May we, in our time, Each one of these members of the Philippian church are now dead, and they're with Christ. Now it turns to us. How faithful are we going to be in the advancement of the kingdom? Uh, When it suits me. Or as a passion of ours to see lostness attacked in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, and the world. Someday, when I stand before Jesus, may it be said that I invested in eternal fruit. Would you bow your heads this morning? As we prepare to, to, to sing a song of response, two questions I would challenge us with challenge myself with today. And that's this Is there any area of discontentment in your life? Where you say, if this just changes, then my worship will be unhindered and I'll be able to be free. That does not come from Christ. I would just encourage you would you lay it on the altar of your heart and mind today and say, God, I need Christ to strengthen me in contentment. I need to learn the secret, which is Christ. And the second question I would ask you to ask yourself is this, does my generosity come from a thanksgiving of what Christ has given to me in my time and my talents and in my treasure? Or do I hold it tight? I would wonder even today if someone's being called into, to, to go to a different country, to give of their life and generosity for the sake of the gospel, even today. Today, whether you have two cents or you have great excess, are we willing to say, it's all yours, God, and I will act as it is yours. Father, I thank you. In this season that often celebrates excess, we get to come and recognize Christ as the ultimate contentment in our lives. In seasons of of nothing or seasons of excess, we we recognize and, and are joyful in what Christ has given us. And then Lord, I pray that we would be and continue to be a people that loves generosity, that responds because of a generous God to us. That Lord, for those in this world, my heart is broken today for those who've never heard the name Jesus. In 2023, we have billions of people still who've never heard the name Jesus. And it's our time. You've entrusted us. You will invite us into this partnership. Lord, may that compel us to be faithful to the calling and the mission and the advancement of the kingdom that you've given us. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's respond as the Lord leads.